You're listening to the free edition of Sweden in Focus from The Local. If you would like to listen to a full-length version of the podcast, as well as an additional midweek episode, please check the episode notes for details on how to upgrade to Membership Plus. Here's this week's free edition. Life is full of what-ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard Fixed Indemnity Insurance Plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hello and welcome to Sweden in Focus, the local's weekly news podcast. It's Thursday the 15th of February as we're recording this and we're going to cover a lot of ground this week including why there's a special Swedish word to describe all the viruses doing the rounds this month, hitting the ski slopes for the midterm school holiday, a devastating blaze at a Gothenburg amusement park, a changing of the guard in the Green Party and why a Social Democrat MP with Palestinian heritage became an independent this week why Swedish prison authorities went into crisis mode and what we know so far about new salary requirements for work permit holders. I'm Paul Omani in Stockholm and I'm joined today from Malmö by our regular panellists Richard Orange and Emma Lovegreen. How are you both? Good. Very well, very well. I know you've been taking care of a sick child this week, Emma. Yeah, I, I dropped her off at preschool on, on Tuesday morning and there weren't a lot of other kids there because they were all off sick. And the teacher told me, well, you know, it, it's Vabruari. And I think what she did there was actually to put an ancient Swedish curse on me because an hour <laughs> later I got a call from preschool being like, can you come and pick your daughter up? She has a fever. So this week I've been on the couch with a sick toddler watching the entire Pippi Longstocking series from start to finish several times. Oh, lucky you. And as you say, this is the the time of year people refer to as Vabruari. Can you explain what that means? So it's a combination of the word February or Februari in Swedish and uh, Vab or V-A-B, which stands for Vod of Barn care of child. So VAB is the benefit that's paid out to Swedish parents so that we can get a salary even when we have to stay home to look after a sick child. And it's especially common in February, which is often the peak of various bugs like like the flu and the norovirus or the winter vomiting bug as it's known in Sweden. And VAB, even though it's this kind of pretty technical term really, it's become part of the vernacular so much that it even exists as a verb. Vampa. And it's in fact so common that you even hear English speakers in Sweden use it with an English verb ending. So like Tobias is vabbing today. And you may be interested to know that outside of Sweden, there was a TikTok trend a couple of years ago called vabbing, which was to, um, sorry, dab your vaginal fluids on other parts of your body, like a perfume. So behind your ears and stuff like that. And that is completely unrelated to the Swedish kind of vabbing. Uh <laughs> Okay, that is uh, news to me. Thanks, Emma. I think we're just going to move swiftly along there. Uh, We're into midterm holiday season and I know kids in Gothenburg are off this week. The dates are staggered for different parts of the country and it's next week for you in Malmö and a lot of people will be making long trips north to go skiing. Richard, are you going to be on a slippery slope? 
Well, I've I've already been on one. I I naughtily broke my kids out of school on a Friday, actually on a Thursday lunchtime a few weeks ago and took them up for a couple of days skiing in Salem. So that's it for me this year. But my wife and the kids are going to Uppsala to see her parents next week. And I think they might do a couple of days in Kungsbury, which is, you know, just a couple of hours from Uppsala. But I'll be here in Malmö in the rain and the mud. Okay. And what are the best places to go skiing in Sweden? I think in terms of the quality of the skiing and the size of the resorts, Aura in Jämtland is probably the best resort, but followed uh, by Sälen, where I was, which is a shorter journey from Stockholm, Gothenburg and Malmö, but it's kind of slightly less mountainous and there's slightly less kind of really out there off-piece skiing. I've never been to Aura, but I was really impressed by Sälen in terms of the number of runs. It, I think it's as, it's, you could, there's as much skiing to be done as there is in, you know, not one of the really really, really big, massive uh, French or Swiss resorts, but pretty decent sized one. And it doesn't obviously have the sort of craggy mountain peaks that you can see around you, but but it's still pretty amazing. And, and what amazed me was how efficient it is, because in Salem, four of the resorts are all owned by the same company and they own everything. So And they've got this really slick app. So you could literally, you could go on the app or the website and book everything down to ski school and everything without ever speaking to anyone you can do it all online or on the app so it's super convenient and really well organized but it's a little bit bland maybe a little bit corporate and i've also been to isaberry which is this little resort in small land next to hestra which is famous for where it's where they make gloves which is not great but it's better than anything in say scotland um and <laughs> i've also been to rick's grenson which is a really special place actually you basically get the train as far as you can go in sweden right up to the northwest corner of swedish lapland and it's the stop just before Riksgrensen, the, the Norwegian border, and you're surrounded by, it's got proper mountains, real peaks all around you, there's reindeer. It's really atmospheric and the off-piece skiing there, the adventure skiing there is fantastic if you know what you're doing and you kind of hike up a mountain, you can have a whole mountain to yourself. And, that, and I mean, that's a really special place, but it's totally not for beginners because if you get the lift up, there's only like quite steep runs to get down again. There's no sort of easy skiing at all. And skiing in Sweden can be a pricey endeavour. Do you have any tips for keeping costs down? It's getting even pricier. I was looking at that there's an insurance company, Lens for Schekringar, puts out a kind of estimate of the cost of a skiing holiday for a family of four in Sportlov. And they say it will cost you 40,000 kroner for a week this year, which is double how much it was in 2013. And salaries have only gone up by about a quarter. So it's like way more expensive than it was even 10 years ago. But if you can do it outside of the school holidays... It's much cheaper. And if you do it in the week and not on the weekend, it's cheaper. It's much cheaper if you rent a cabin quite a long way from the lifts and the runs. You know, then you can get Airbnb, someone's holiday cabin for a lot cheaper than you can get a hotel. And if you're willing to drive, so if you're willing to drive like 20 minutes, you save a lot. And also, if you can, if you buy your own equipment secondhand, you can save a lot of money, but maybe you won't have such nice equipment. But if you go to any of the high street secondhand shops in, in Sweden, you will find old skis stacked in the corner. I don't know how good they are, and they're probably from the like 1980s or something, but they will cost you, you know, 100 kroner. So, so you, you can do it cheap if you want to. And also, obviously, if once you're there, you should avoid any, you shouldn't go out drinking or eating in restaurants because you will be paying way more than Stockholm prices. Mm. 
straight to bed after this. Yeah, after yeah. Subs. I mean, if you can be really puritanical and just go up to the slope with a kind of sandwich wrapped up in a piece of plastic, you will save a lot of money. But it's also a bit miserable <laughs> <laughs> to do that. Thanks, Richard. And as always, we'll add related links to the episode notes. Before we get to the news, we'll hear a short interview now that we did before this recording with you, Emma, and the Locals CEO and publisher, James Savage, about a new membership option that includes more podcasts and that we're launching next week. I started by asking James to tell us what Membership Plus is. Well, this is for members who want more podcasts, more newsletters, family access and less advertising. So you can sign up now for our pre-launch offer to get all the new features at a reduced price. Okay, and why are we offering this additional membership option? Well, the podcast has always been free for everyone and we've always planned to bring it into our broader membership model at some point. It costs money to make and this is a way of financing it. But we're really keen also to expand our podcast offering and we think that this is the best way to make it sustainable over the long term. Emma, can you tell us a bit more about the benefits for podcast listeners? We'll still have a free weekend edition, but it will be shorter than it is now. Membership Plus subscribers, they'll get access to a longer, a more comprehensive podcast. And you'll also get early access, so we'll make it available as soon as it's ready, which is usually Friday afternoon. And we're also going to have an additional midweek podcast exclusively for Membership Plus subscribers, in which we're going to interview more people and have more analysis of the most important news stories. Both of these podcasts, the weekend and midweek one, will be ad-free, so there won't be any external advertising, although we may still include some messages from partners. And are there plans for more podcasts? Uh, We hope so. When we did a survey a while ago, a lot of listeners said that they'd be interested in getting a daily podcast, rounding up the main news every morning. We are committed to making this happen, and the plan is to start it once we reach our initial target of 1,000 Membership Plus subscribers. Okay, and James, when is this new membership option going to launch, and how can people sign up? This is going to launch next week, so we'll put a link in the notes to a launch offer that we're running where you can get a 40% discount. So now is the time to sign up if you want to get this new membership option at a great price. As James says, you can find a sign-up link in the episode notes and you'll also find it in the article accompanying this episode on thelocal.se. We're going to move on now to the news and we'll start with the raging fire that ripped through the brand new Oceana water park that was due to open in Gothenburg this summer at the city's huge amusement park, Lisa Berry. What do we know about this story, Emma? And first of all, was anyone injured or killed in the fire? Uh, So there were up to two dozen people who received minor injuries. But uh, there is also one man who has been reported missing after the fire. Police do believe that he is somewhere in the burning building, but they can't go in. At the time of the recording, they can't go in there to look for him yet because they don't. It's, the building is still on fire. I mean, they've said that you can't give up hope until, you know, for sure. But the fear is obviously that he unfortunately died in the fire. And do we know how the fire started? I don't think we know for sure yet. It's It's been described as a workplace-related incident, but it's been difficult to investigate on site as the construction was, at least on Thursday, still burning. Even firefighters have been unable to enter parts of the building because the risk of collapse is just too great. 
and they've not even been able to predict when the fire will be fully extinguished. The police have opened an investigation into gross negligence and workplace offences, but I wouldn't necessarily draw too many conclusions based on that because that's also just a formality to let them investigate. I've seen some experts have said that it may have been like due to kind of hot work being done on the site while they were building this thing and that something went wrong and that started the fire. But I don't think there's been any official confirmation yet that that's what happened. Mm, I mean, it sounds really dramatic. Just how bad was it? I mean, did you see the pictures? It was pretty bad. There were flames, there were exploding fireballs, and they literally tore up this new water slide that had just been built. And the smoke could be seen like all over Gothenburg, which is Sweden's second largest city. And this is also Sweden's biggest amusement park. So like Lisebari is a pretty, pretty iconic feature on the on the Gothenburg skyline. And has the management at Lisa Berry said anything about what happens next? I mean, are they going to rebuild the water park? And will the fire impact activities elsewhere in the amusement park? The water park was supposed to open for the first time this summer, but that's obviously not going to happen. As for the rest of Lisa Berry, it will probably open for the season anyway. Maybe it will have to open a bit later than normal, but it's still too early to say for sure. As for the future of the water park, the management at Lissabaya has said that they just don't know yet. They want to rebuild it, but they've also said that they'll have to look into how much of an economic hit they've just taken, as well as any legal repercussions that come out of the investigation. Okay, thanks for that roundup, Emma. And we'll add links in the episode notes to our article on this. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Politics now, and we'll start with news that the embattled MP Jamal El Hajj is leaving the Social Democratic Party but staying on in Parliament as an independent, much to the annoyance of the party. Richard, can you briefly remind us of why the relationship between politician and party broke down? Well, it started off in May when he attended this enormous European Palestinians conference, which was held here in Malmo, which is El Hajj's hometown. The Social Democrats told him not to go, but El Hajj replied, there is no power anywhere in the world that would stop me from taking part. And he's, and he's later said in interviews that it's kind of part of his identity. It's basically the biggest conference going for Palestinians in Europe and it's in his hometown. It, it, I can I can see why it would have been hard not to go. But you can also see why the Social Democrats didn't want him to go because the conference was very controversial with a huge amount of negative media around it in Sweden. And after the conference, the organisers had a press event where they denied that it was 
affiliated with Hamas, this religious party that is designated a terror organization and runs the government in Gaza. They said that this was all part of a smear campaign orchestrated by Israel. And I suspect that Israel does have reasons to discourage meetings of like 20,000 Palestinian activists in European cities. I mean, I, I, I don't think that's paranoid to think that Israel has been pushing a media campaign. But the conference was also opposed by the Palestinian Liberation Organization and its main faction, Fatah, which runs the government in the West Bank. So the the Palestinian representatives in Sweden didn't go, for example, the official Palestinian representatives. Anyway, and also a few months after it was finished, Amin Abu Rashid, the main organiser, was arrested in the Netherlands for fundraising for Hamas. So it doesn't look good. And the Social Democrats knew it wouldn't look good, which is why they told him not to go. After that happened, they sort of made him stand down from some of his official positions in the parliament, like being on the Foreign Policy Committee. So it was a pretty minor punishment he got. But as soon as the atrocities were committed, by Hamas in Israel. Obviously, this became, this re revived this whole story. And then it became really uncomfortable for the Social Democrat leadership. But Magdalene Anderson very strongly supported Al-Hajj and said, you know, he's been fighting against Hamas his whole life. And later said in Parliament, you know, a lot of his family have been wiped out in Gaza. And so she staked a lot of political capital. So the fact that then the final thing that had gone wrong, it turned out that he had shortly after being elected rung up the migration agency case officer to lobby for an imam that he should stay in Sweden. And, you know, that's just not quite how MPs are supposed to behave in Sweden. You know, you're not supposed to use your MP power to try and influence agency decisions. So when that came out, that was too much and they asked him to go. Now he's refusing to stand down and wanting to be what some people say is the Social Democrats' first ever independent MP, Wilde, although other mm. people say that after the uh, revolution in 1917, a faction of Social Democrats broke away because they supported the Russian Revolution and that they were the first videos, <laughs> but who knows? It doesn't matter. He, he, so, it, so either way, this is like the first time since 1917. So Yeah, yeah it's, it's, a, it's either the first time ever or the first time since 1917. Yeah, so now he is a, a political independent in Parliament and that is quite uncomfortable for the Social Democrats. It is. And you wrote this week that El Haj faced the same dilemma as all immigrant politicians in Sweden. Can you talk about that? What's the dilemma you're referring to? I mean, I think the dilemma is whether you try to represent or, or, or help the interests of the ethnic group from which you come. And that's the case whether you have a Kurdish background, Iranian, Syrian, Iraqi, even British. I mean, if you were a British MP, there aren't any, but you could want something about, you know, the post-Brexit settlement or something. You know, you, you mm. could want rights for British people post-Brexit. But anyway, if you do do that, you risk getting into trouble. For example, one thing that has caused a lot of trouble is, is you might have to attend events organised by that community. And at those events, there might be people who represent organisations that you know, are a bit politically questionable. Like Mehmet Kaplan, the former Green Party MP, had got into a huge problem because he went to a Turkish dinner and there was someone from this far-right Turkish party. And I think the difficulty is, difficulty is, is the Swedish media and the Swedish public don't really understand the political background. So I think a Turk might go, yeah, big deal. Or they might not. I mean, I don't know. I don't understand it either. But it's very easy to push someone out to say, this person is a radical Salafi, when actually he might just be you know, an imam 
You know, it's hard to know. It's hard to judge. But anyway, so so you risk getting into trouble for that. And you also get risk being questioned for your loyalties. Like, do you represent the Green Party or the Social Democrat Party? Or do you represent, you know, the Turkish diaspora or Palestinians? But on the other hand, if you don't represent your community at least a bit, then you risk disappointing them. And then you also risk losing some of your value as a vote magnet for the party that signed you up in the first place. I mean, for the Social Democrats, Jamal al-Hajj is actually quite useful. They've got this nuanced party that's trying to steal immigrant voters from them. It's quite good to have someone like Jamal al-Hajj who fights for the Palestinian cause. So if you lose that value, your party won't, you're not so useful to your party. And also, you know, your family and friends will be disappointed in you that you're not doing anything for them. And the reason I think it's an issue, I think, is that immigrant Swedes, I don't think, are properly represented in Swedish politics. You know, there are groups in the parliamentary parties that push for LGBT rights or women's rights or the rights of religious people, but there aren't any groups that represent people from immigrant origin, and they make up 20% of the population. Okay, thanks, Richard. And we'll post the link to that article in the notes. Now, in other politics news, late last week, the joint leader of the Green Party, Marta Stenevi, announced her resignation. Why is she stepping down, Emma? She had been on sick leave for around three weeks and she felt, she said, that she couldn't be her best self and the best leader the party needed right now. So she decided to give up her spot while she focuses on on recovery, on her mental health, her children and her partner. And she has been under quite a lot of stress recently, even for you know a political party leader. There's been this ongoing internal investigation in the party into complaints about her management style. There's also been a lot of press coverage about her alleged conflict with her new fellow joint leader, Daniel Heldian. And according to Stienvi's team, she actually received a lot of support from Hildian, so it wasn't related to that, they said. But she said, Stienvi, that there had been a lot of like anonymous leaks to the media about the internal investigation, which she had found difficult to handle because she didn't know who it was coming from or who she could trust. And do we have any idea who's going to replace her and when that's going to happen? They're probably going to hold an extra conference at some point this spring so that they can elect a new leader before the EU elections this summer. We know that it's going to be a woman because the Green Party traditionally has two leaders, one man and one woman. But that's pretty much all we know for now. I mean, one of the top names that probably a lot of Green Party members had been hoping for Alice Barkunke, who's an EU parliamentarian, she's already said that she does not want to do it. Two of the other top names who haven't yet said whether or not they'll consider standing are Amanda Lind, the former culture minister, and Annika Hirvonen, who's the party's group leader in parliament. But once the NV got her job in 2021, there were eight other people who were interested at the time. So it's possible that we could also get like a dark horse as the next leader. Thanks, Emma. Before we talk about a crisis affecting Sweden's prisons, I just want to point to a bonus episode we have coming up on Wednesday, featuring an interview with Gemma Swift, a marketing professional from England who wrote an excellent article for The Local last year on making friends in Sweden. And we were curious to hear her expand on some of her top tips. So here's a quick preview. It's not true that it's really hard to make friends in Sweden. It's a bit slower, but the friendships you do make when you put the effort in and make moves, you know, they can be really strong friendships for life. 
all people are different and there's always an element of luck involved with who you meet and when and who and how they're feeling when at the time you want to try and build a relationship and if they're busy or they're not. I felt like I put in a lot of effort when I moved here and it really paid off. I've got, you know, some wonderful friends here now and it's and it is and I would have a lot less if I didn't work really hard and that's but for some people that's fine some you know some people are really happy to just have a couple of close mates and that's also beautiful but I put in a lot of effort and got like 10 really good mates now it's too much <laughs> I'm too tired now I don't want to see anyone that was Gemma Swift and you can hear the full interview on Wednesday one story that's been bubbling for a while and that finally boiled over relates to the fact that Sweden's prisons are woefully overcrowded Groups representing prisoners and prison staff have been warning for a while of deteriorating conditions and this week the Prison and Probation Service announced it was officially in crisis mode. Richard, can you tell us what this entails and what's being done to remedy the situation? Well, the the word they used was stabsläger, which I find really hard to translate. Actually, it means something like I don't know, like like action stations, which is the command the British Navy used to give to say that everyone has to get to their positions before a battle. It's it's, it's not quite crisis or emergency; more a call to sort of get into a sort of you know really serious action mode. And they've set up what's a national stab, which is a sort of command group to more efficiently handle the situation and to work with what they call urgent space creation. And the reason this has happened is because of changes to the law, both made by the former government, but definitely by the current government, which mean a lot more people are getting put behind bars. And when they get there, they're often serving much longer sentences. And that requires more prison places. And I mean, the thing is, is there isn't enormous amount the prison service can do. I mean, it takes a lot of time to build prisons and prison places. And some of the solutions they've been coming up with, I've seen on Twitter is, you know, like basically porter cabins stacked on top of one another, where they're going to keep people who are at least in pre-trial detention. And that's not really very secure, (laughs) because there's none of the kind of prison walls or stuff like that that you would expect from a prison. What the government is not being particularly sympathetic because I suppose they want to seem tough on crime. So at a press conference, the Prime Minister, Ulf Christensen, said, we are making a paradigm shift right now and the fact that more people end up behind bars is intentional. You know, this is a good thing. And he says, I respect that this will cause problems for a while while we increase capacity, but that can't be avoided now that we're taking crime more seriously, which is, you know, great, (laughs) but what are they supposed to do about it? He didn't really offer to help the agency at all. Mm. Now, at the same time as this crisis has been building, the prison service recently announced that it's anticipating having to triple the number of prison places in Sweden over the next decade. Now, this is a story we'll return to in a later episode. But can you just tell us briefly, Emma, what this entails? According to the Prison and Probation Service's capacity report, which it released in December, Sweden needs to increase the number of prison and pre-trial holding places from 9,000 to 27,000 in the next 10 years to keep pace with political calls for longer sentences and the incarceration of more criminals. And some analysts have calculated that this would make Sweden the incarceration capital of the EU which is a massive shift for a country that in the 1970s had policies aimed at locking up as few people as possible. Thanks, Emma. And this is a pretty major societal change. And as I say, is something we'll be coming back to. 
But let's finish today with an update on new salary requirements for work permits. Richard, I think you were the first journalist in Sweden to cover the news that there's going to be a press conference later today, that's Thursday, on the findings of a government inquiry on a needs-based work permit system. Now, by the time this episode goes out, we'll possibly know a little bit more and we'll post links to any updates in the episode notes. But can you fill us in on what we know after after you spoke to a lawyer who was working on the inquiry. Well, yes, right now, as we speak, I just checked on the government website and I don't know when, but a few minutes ago, they said that they are indeed holding a press conference to receive the conclusions of this inquiry on work permits at 2pm today, which is what we were told by the Secretary of the by this lawyer, the Secretary of the Inquiry. Obviously, she can't say a lot about what it is, but what she said is that they are not going to suggest which professions or which jobs should have an exception from this new demand to have the median work permit, which is much median salary threshold for a work permit, which is much, which will be like 34,000 kroner. So a big, big jump from the 27,000 kroner, I think it is, that came in in November. So they won't say nurses should be accepted. They won't say computer programmers should not be covered by this or anything like that. But what they will say is this is possible system you could use to determine which in need professions Sweden really needs but don't have that high salaries should not be covered by this. So it's more they're going to propose a system than uh, anything else. And she said that they can't really question how high the salary thresholds should be. You know, the remit of the inquiry they were given by the current government is that it should be more or less at the median salary. So that's not going. So they're going to stick to that. And no, it'd be really interesting to see what they do, because obviously when the inquiry was launched, it was to bring back the old social democrat system where the business trade bodies would coordinate with the unions and say, oh, you know, we desperately need welders or we desperately need this, that or the other. And that was, you know, in some ways a good system, but it was very cumbersome, you know, so it would take like two years or a year to respond. So are they going to come out with something similar to that where businesses can propose something to some kind of agency? I mean, it'd be really interesting to see how they do it. Okay, thank you. That's all for this week. Thank you for listening. And remember to check out the discount offer for Membership Plus in the episode notes. Our panellists today were Emma Lovegreen and Richard Orange. Our sound engineer is Reese Edwards. I'm Paul O'Mahony and we'll be back on Wednesday with a bonus episode on how to make friends in Sweden. Sweden in Focus is a podcast from The Local Europe. The publisher is James Savage. That's all for this week's free edition of Sweden in Focus. If you'd like to hear a full-length version of the podcast each week, as well as an additional midweek episode with more interviews and analysis, please upgrade to Membership Plus. Make sure to check the episode notes for details on how to upgrade. Sweden in Focus is a podcast by The Local Europe. Our sound engineer is Rhys Edwards. The publisher is James Savage.